Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we are having a conversation with a great drummer and composer who recently released an EP on Outside In Music, Nolar Sila, uh, a blend of West African music and jazz. Jeremy is a great uh, drummer and composer based in New York, soon to move uh, to Korea, actually, of all places. And uh, before he left, he wanted to get this uh, new EP out, and there's also a series of videos, a series of performance videos and educational videos on his YouTube channel if you want to check those out. And today on Over Here for the first time, we have Alan Blanchard taking over the interviewing duties, and he had a great conversation with Jeremy. And without further ado, I'm going to switch on over to that conversation. All right. Uh, well, Jeremy Noller, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, we were, we're talking about uh, upcoming releases and past releases that we've put out on Outside Music. And you had a release back from March this year with the uh, Noller Celia. Celia, is that how you pronounce it? Celia, Noller Celia. Celia, um, and it's very much, uh, you know, we we you call it jazz and whatnot, but it's very much West African influence um, from what I've learned and from what I've listened to it. So it's kind of interesting to to hear that. Can you go in? I know that you've done it a little bit on your website, but talk about why you felt such a strong tie to um, you know this West African music and and what really got you into that. Yeah, sure. Um, so this kind of gig kind of fell into my lap um, a few years ago. Um, and it was playing with this West African ensemble doing these corporate drumming events. Um, but I was like, just offered this gig to play these West African bass drums that I had never heard of before. And it's like a relatively simple part. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try this out. Um, and it turned out to be like me and these, you know, amazing djembe players, Mange Sila, who did the record with me being one of them, um, performing. Um, and I was just playing this kind of simple rhythm and what these guys were playing over the top of it just completely blew my mind. Um, and I mean, it was to the point that I couldn't even listen to what they were playing because I was afraid I was going to screw up my simple little part that I was playing. Um. So that was kind of my crash course in West African drumming. I, you know, hadn't really studied much in college or it was kind of just outside of my sphere of, of what I had been learning about. Um, so that kind of sparked an interest. Um, and pretty quickly, I got really close working with this company with Mange. Um, and he teaches classes in New York and all over the world. He's in China right now doing workshops there. Um, so I started studying with him um, and learning these traditional rhythms. Um, and then also studying with, there's another great American drummer named Michael Marcus, who has a drum company here called Wula Drum. And I did for about a year was doing classes twice a week with him as well. Um, so really kind of dove into studying these rhythms. Um, and kind of the first step for me getting from that traditional ensemble to this kind of jazz project was trying to bring some of this stuff to the drum set. Because um, it's really most of the rhythms, it's about five parts. There's three kind of layered bass drum parts um, and then usually a couple of djembe parts and a soloist. Um, and so starting to take that stuff to drum set and kind of experimenting with how to adapt these rhythms on the drum set kind of led me to composing um, tunes originally for a trio kind of based around these rhythms and just experimenting with 
different ways of orchestrating these rhythms and using them as inspiration for composition. Um, and for me as a drummer, it kind of, I never really felt like I found my voice as a composer before then. I hesitate to even call myself a composer, but hmm. um, <laughs> for me, like kind of dealing with things from like starting from this rhythmic perspective, um, I just kind of gave me some familiar ground to start from with uh, writing tunes. And it's really kind of something that I've continued to explore. Um, I did a record in 2010 with a trio well, and a quartet on a couple of the tunes. Um, and then this project was kind of an extension of that. Mange was a guest on a couple of songs. Um, and that was more of an acoustic band. I kind of heard it when we played, things kind of got aggressive. And so it kind of made sense to bring in electric guitar and electric bass um, for this kind of new iteration of that project. Um, so kind of specifically about this collaboration, these actually are kind of all the, the tunes are taken from traditional West African um, songs, most of which Mange recorded on his first record with a traditional ensemble in Guinea. Um, and there's one from another great drummer from Guinea, kind of one of the elder statesmen of their tradition right. named Famadou Konate. Um, and uh, but really, it's to, the melodies are taken from these original recordings, as are kind of the rhythms. And then, you know, each of the compositions, I kind of play with different ways of of using the kind of core rhythms um, and experimenting with that kind of stuff through these compositions. Right, and you know, to people that are um, more interested on, you actually have this really cool resource that pairs with it on your website, where you have a. Underneath it, you have a section called master classes and, you know, you have like, he has brief video clips where he breaks all this down. And that, I mean, that personally helped me a lot because, you know, I think a lot of, you know, people that are maybe checking out jazz are not the most hip to West African tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that helps explains a lot of it, but you know, here's a question for you. You talk about bringing this into a, um, into a jazz setting. How did you balance like the, um, improvisation or like the responsiveness of playing drum set while not uh, overshadowing anything else that was going on percussion wise and not like clashing or anything like that. Cause you know, that's something that a lot of musicians deal with, whether it's between drums, piano, uh, guitar, whatever. But how yeah. did you, how did you balance that versus staying true to like the normal uh, uh, traditional rhythms that were going on? That's a good question. And actually one I've kind of grappled with because I often feel like with these songs, I kind of write myself out of them by like taking all the rhythmic stuff and putting it in the band. And then sometimes I get done and like we rehearse it for the first time and I'm like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to play? Right. Um, so, you know, for, for a couple of the songs, like for the more kind of driving four, four, I would say almost they're like, you know, more like danceable kind of sound like Afrobeat stuff maybe that people are familiar with that stuff I really kind of find myself just like okay I'm just gonna kind of keep time and keep a groove going um on a couple of the tracks Jagba and uh Matadi on the record that's basically what I'm doing um so that's maybe a little you know a little more traditional in terms of like 
what my role is just like kind of keeping time while all this more complicated stuff goes on in the rest of the band. Um, but some of the other ones, especially the 12, eight ones we're dealing with these like larger four bar phrases of the rhythm and 12, eight and a couple of the tunes. And, um, I kind of straddle a line between should I kind of play something simple and repetitive or should I kind of play this rhythm almost like hits in my playing and kind of fill in the space. Um, and I think I end up kind of going back and forth between the two. Um, in one arrangement in the song Connie, I, I kind of just, there's a long kind of four bar phrase that the bass plays. And for some of the sections, I follow that and kind of, adapted that groove for the drum set but for other sections i decided to just kind of play more of like a straight time while everything else goes around um so it's it's definitely a balance and and it takes me a while after i write this stuff to to find that kind of place to be open and be able to play around it um that's something i've that definitely I have to kind of work out it's like how much do I want this to be groove and how much do I want this to be more kind of improvisational jazz. Um, right. And I'm still kind of figuring that all out. <laughs> right. So with this, uh, with this specific record and again, like, you know, sorry if a lot of these questions come off from my ignorance of West African music, no. but um, how, when it comes down to like harmonically, what you're prov providing for the band, how much of that was like strictly based upon uh, traditional harmony or whatnot versus stuff that you might've implied over it? Or did you leave it more like open-ended harmony for them to uh, interact with and decide in which way they were going to go, you know? And then you were like, well, we're going to, you know, uh, um, latch on to the rhythmic concepts and that's where we're going to try and keep constant. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the, these a lot of these melodies are kind of bound to a diatonic scale because of um well specifically because of the balafone the the west african kind of xylophone or marimba um which in some areas specifically in ghana it's pentatonic and in other areas it's diatonic and in, in guinea and these malinke rhythms which a lot of these are that's the tribe they come from they use a diatonic polyphone. So what that kind of means when, you know, you're listening to these traditional recordings is, is everything's pretty tied to like a key center and it's pretty diatonic. Um, right. And a lot of it is really the whole song will just be kind of a two chord vamp that goes back and forth. Um, so I didn't really even worry about that stuff when I was transcribing. I just took, took the uh the melodies and you know without trying to be like overly convoluted about it kind of put the harmony just kind of where i heard it and tried to make longer harmonic phrases out of it as opposed to kind of those like short kind of two chord things that a lot of the traditional songs have when you were transcribing it did you find um you know i, I know on one of these connie you kind of talk about um where you where you had put everything like an eight note off oh, when you were yeah. originally transcribing it? Did you find that you were having some issues trying to um, force isn't the right <clears throat> word, but trying to like put this into a nomenclature that would make sense necessarily for the rest of the band that's used to like our Western traditions, you know, four four three four and all that? Or yeah, that I mean, you know, the four four stuff is pretty straightforward. The twelve eight stuff, it it really gets hairy in there. And I mean, if you listen to some of Mangue's traditional recordings. Even the first time I listened to it, it, 
it's just overwhelming. There's like too right. much going on. Um, and it's really hard to decipher stuff unless you know kind of what to clue in on with your ears. Um, but I've thought a lot about how I write this stuff out and how musicians are going to interpret it. Um, because there's a lot of like phrases in three over phrases in two going on kind of all the time, especially in right. these 12-8 rhythms. Um, so I mean, that's something that I definitely try and think about in terms of how can I, when I write out parts for people, how can I really express how the subdivisions are changing in the music so that it ends up getting phrased the right way. Um, but that song, Connie, is that, yeah, when you listen to Mange's recording, I still can't really hear it the right way until I think about it. There's a vocal line that just feels like it's so like squarely on the downbeat and the way the harmony lands, it, it's really deceptive to our Western ears. And I transcribed the whole thing an eighth note off and brought it to Mange to show him. And the only reason I knew I was wrong, because he doesn't really read, you know, our notation. Sure. It's, he was, he was tapping his foot. And I looked at his foot and I was just like, no, no, that's not right. <laughs> and, you know, and then of course he was like cracking up, thought it was hilarious. Um, but I had to just go back and, you know, I've been hearing the song wrong for so long that I had to go back and, and start from scratch basically. And um, so that one in the Mengiani is another really tricky one because that one really has a very kind of pronounced phrase in three in one of the parts and then like more of a four beat in the 12 eight feel in another part. And, and the rhythm underneath it is just completely syncopated. Nobody hits a downbeat. So those, those two were kind of interesting to play with, with the band and to think about how we can execute these and didn't necessarily go great. The first couple of times we played them. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a student myself. Um, doing my masters right now. And I think in my exposure to more jazz and whatnot, when you get to like different genres, whether that be like listening to Lester Bowie or something for the first time, it kind of helps to go in with like a, um, with a mindset, you know, like recognizing what they're doing so that you can be maybe more appreciative and, and open-minded to it at first. So what advice would you have for someone that has maybe only checked out like you're straight ahead or, like maybe some more of the modern stuff uh, like Chris Potter or Joshua Redman, you know, really popular names like that, that they should take into consideration when they're going to listen to this, something that is, you know, like, yeah, you say that you still bring it in this jazz format, but like we've been talking about, it's very West uh, heavy West African influence. So do yeah. you have any advice for what they should be, you know, listening for or looking out for or open-minded to when going into it? I mean, I, one thing I always kind of compare it to, and I'm not at all comparing myself my compositions or the band to this group, but stylistically comparing to is the Dave Holland quintet with oh, sure. Potter and Robin Eubanks and that group. Um, because I feel like those songs were, were very rhythmically based. Like everything had a really strong rhythmic character. Um, and it was most of the solo sections were kind of these rhythmic vamps that they were soloing over. Um, and I, I didn't like think of that group when I was writing this stuff, but kind of when I think of other things that it's like, I think that kind of compositional style is, ends up being kind of similar. 
um, you know, the, the harmony's not definitely not the focus, you know, I'm a, I'm a drummer and constantly dealing with my flaws in terms of dealing with harmony. But, um, I think, I think from, from like a, a, a certain perspective that makes it almost a little bit more accessible. Um, hopefully the way that we kind of perform these rhythms makes everything still feel like it's grooving and not that it's just like overly complicated. Um, and you know, the, the harmony and the melodies are super accessible as, you know, beautiful West African melodies. Um, so hopefully people can kind of hear it and understand, you know, the, whether it's jazz or whether it's West African music, I'm not particularly concerned about. I just know like, you know, what my background is and what I've learned from Mange and kind of try to put those things together with people that I, I like to hear play. So that's kind of what we ended up with. Right. So, um, you know, kind of change pace a little bit here. We usually, you know, Nick and I tend to find that, uh, we think a lot of people that are listening to these podcasts and whatnot are, are your up and coming musicians, you know, maybe those that are working on their first or even second projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some questions for you, you know, going to UNF, and then Manhattan School of Music and, and Juilliard and whatnot. Um, I think it's, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's fair to say this wasn't a project you went into your undergrad expecting to undertake. No, I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> so how do you, how did you, um, was that tough for you? Was like, was it overwhelming or, or scary to be like thinking you're going in to do one thing and then you find something else that like obviously you loved and whatnot? but it was completely out of left field, you know, and it, it was, it was certainly, I'm sure daunting in some manners. Like, how did you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it just, it just happened so kind of randomly for me. Um, you know, I mean, my expectations f- for what was going to come have always changed. I actually started out as a classical percussion major and then switched okay. to jazz and, you know, ended up in New York and, was definitely, I mean, at Manhattan School of Music, just kind of playing more modern jazz of the early 2000s. Um, and I don't know, after school, I've, I've always been kind of just open to whatever experiences I can find. And um, this again, this is something I certainly didn't seek out, but um, it was great actually to find something to, else to study after school. Um, that okay. was one thing that 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 I really look back on as as a great experience was that you know you go to I mean been in school for six years straight and then you're out and you're working and you're trying to hustle and you know we always have things we need to practice but to like come into this West African music with all this experience and all the study that I had done before and it's all completely useless and. <laughs> It just that was a, a humbling experience and a really gratifying experience because it's like, well, man, I want to learn about this. And like, like, I'm certainly growing as a musician if like on day one, I have no idea what's going on. You know, that obviously means that there's a lot for me to learn. I remember times in classes with Mange just like wishing he would count the tune off, or count the rhythm off. And it's all based on these calls and stuff. And some of these parts, when you hear them on their own, are just like just so confusing. These like long phrases where they're all off the beat, and 
and you know learning kind of how other other cultures hear and deal with music was really a big kind of growth experience for me like seeing seeing him as a teacher and seeing kind of how he understands music really changed the way that I play and changed the way that I think about things so I don't you know I'm I'm glad that experience kind of came to me and and connected with me so much in terms of like the bands that I've had and the kind of compositions that have come out of it um you know I, I've embraced the unexpected <laughs> right do you think um are there specific instances you know where you think it's influenced um maybe how you would play in a straight ahead quartet where like it's not necessarily your gig so you're not bringing in like these uh your original compositions but how has it influenced your playing when you're going back to maybe another jazz genre or other genres in general yeah i mean it definitely has it it's it's changed the way i think about kind of meter um there's really it's really amazing with a lot of these west african drummers that i've studied with and heard like just the there's such a different relationship to the downbeat um right. and when we're talking about like 12 8 you know i like i don't think we we end up reading as musicians a lot in like 12 8 and everything that's like based in you know three note groups and for them it's like starting a phrase on the middle triplet of any beat in the measure is just like not a big deal at all but that's something that to a lot of musicians i think if you had some part and everything's all phrased off the second triplet like that's i mean i've i've seen people struggle with that um right so like kind of learning these like this kind of stuff and exploring like how much there is like i mean if, and i think of 12 8 in, in like it's a four meter and four groups of three and just how much you can really do within that four beat thing um has kind of changed the way that i look at at how i play over any meter and kind of you know when i was in especially at manhattan school of music and around that time hanging out at 55 bar and all the stuff that was going on in that period was very heavy, like odd meter kind of straight eighth note stuff was like the scene. And, right. and I love playing that stuff, but it was like, I feel like for a lot of jazz musicians, they end up composing stuff that's to, to make it rhythmically complicated or not even complicated, but rhythmically different or interesting, just, and you know, find odd meters, find different like groupings of odd meters. And, I think it's one thing that I've kind of taken on. It's like, well, how much can I really explore for? Because if, you know, if I can show up to my first West African drum class and be totally lost in four, then there's, there's so much more to explore within that without even thinking about five or seven or, you know, and again, I'm not, I play in odd meters too, but it just kind of opened up my mind to like, you know, it, five isn't any more complicated than four if we really like dive into a beat like or a, a meter you can find all kinds of ways to explore it sure now this is your um second record as a leader right mm -hmm. so how did you um like you know i i come into the picture pretty late into the process i'd say just when we're finalizing documents and whatnot mm -hmm. um so what did you um what were some things that you 
say that you improved on or you learned from doing your first project and now your second project or things that like, you know, stuff that you wish you had known beforehand going into these projects as far as like making a record, not necessarily, you know, dealing with the music. Like, cause obviously, you know, step number one to making a record is make sure you have music that you can play well. <laughs> yes. But outside of that, you know, what, what was the benefit going into the second time around or, or things that maybe now you still even look back on, you're like, um, you know, damn, I wish I did this, maybe this way or stuff. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is I wish I didn't have 750 of my old CD sitting in my apartment, <laughs> um, which is, you know, both a sign of our changing kind of digital music environment, but also, you know, a lesson I learned on my first record, I didn't do any like PR. I wasn't with a sure. label. I just kind of put it out and did some gigs and turns out that doesn't really work. Um Thus, I have 700, probably more than that, actually. I haven't counted the box. Well, do you think it helped, though? Do you think it helped with um, understanding, like, with having something tangible where you're like, well, here's this, like, as a, maybe like an archive or a reference point to, like, you as a, as a drummer? Yeah. I mean, having the, just the recording as, like, a documentation of what I was doing, I, I think is valuable. You know, I think in even in just in 2010, you know, people were actually still buying CDs, um, you know, as opposed to now where like half the computers you get don't even have disk drives in them. And yeah. if somebody gives me a CD and I'm thinking like, what am I going to do with this? Where, you know, um, so, you know, I like, I'm happy I did the recording. One lesson I learned and I, I, I did this, this recording is differently, but I think the, for what I had in mind for my first record, I definitely should have like partnered with some kind of label or partnered with um, done at least PR to like get it out there more because I wasn't really doing that. Um, so for this recording, this EP, really the focus of this was doing kind of live performances in the studio. Um, and that's how this started. Mm -hmm. And the kind of release of the EP was kind of an afterthought. I kind of saw this as more of like, you know, almost like a digital portfolio of what this band does, things that I can use to kind of promote the band for opportunities and promote myself for opportunities. Um, so that was kind of the initial focus. Um, and then I talked with Nick about just putting out the audio side of it on Outside and Music, and he made everything super easy. But, you know, the focus still wasn't – I still didn't do any PR. I'm not really trying to get reviews. Um, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'll perhaps wonder what I should have done, but especially since it was a, a short thing – um, for me, I kind of see it as more of like a snapshot and a kind of a portfolio and a promotional tool, um, that hopefully would lead to a bigger recording project in the future where I would do actual promotion and, and the whole thing. Well, I'm curious, have you, um, you know, this music was, it was really cool to listen to well, Thank you. and it was, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really, it's awesome. And it's, I'm a very big fan of like you know, especially with traveling, like if I'm going somewhere, I want to see what they do. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to go to the McDonald's in China or whatever. Yeah. Um, have you ever considered or have you ever done um, like rearranging this stuff for maybe larger ensembles, um, including like more of like traditional vocals or or larger percussion groups or, or anything of that nature? 
I've thought of that. I've actually done, and I'm working on more. I've done a, a percussion ensemble arrangement that's kind of it's not a transcription of the original, but takes kind of the like harmonic stuff that that I did for this band and puts it back um, on you know more like Western percussion instruments like marimba um, as a melodic instrument and but it kind of mixes that with the traditional drumming ensemble I did that for a, a student group um, here in New York um, and I'm working on some more of those because for me that's kind of an interesting educational opportunity to kind of share this kind of traditional side of these rhythms but in an environment where maybe they don't have all the traditional instruments or maybe they don't so kind of adapting it for kind of any typical percussion ensemble at a university could play right um is one thing i'm doing and i'm actually um michael thomas of the terraza big band right that is also on outside in music with a great release coming up is actually <laughs> doing a couple of uh, big band arrangements for me. Michael plays on the record um, and he's arranging two of the songs for big band. And I believe we're going to premiere those in July. So um, I am, I am thinking about other things. And again, to me, a, a lot of my motivation for this stuff is kind of educational opportunities, like sharing this, um, you know, finding a way to like, share this kind of West African, you know, this great legacy of music with maybe like a university jazz ensemble or even a high school jazz ensemble that would never have any exposure to like this style of music um, as, as maybe an inroads to like getting people kind of more interested to explore some of this traditional music. Yeah. And look, you know, guys, if, uh, if you've been really interested in what Jeremy has been talking about and whatnot, I highly suggest you go check out this album. It's really a, a pleasure to listen to. And it's not, I don't think it's anything, you know, I know coming from someone myself who's not really hip to West African music, it was not overwhelming or anything like you're talking about. It certainly wasn't an easy thing to listen to and to pick up on. And then if you're even more interested, um, his masterclass series definitely helped. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, it was, and I don't know if you, I'm sure you intended for it to be like that to an extent, but being able to listen to it and then go back and follow along with that, and you, you know, you've transcribed and notated some rhythms and whatnot, um, it re really helps shine some light on what you're trying to do and, and help to appreciate it a little bit more, man. So well, thanks good. a lot for the relief. Yeah, I'm, those, those masterclass videos were Nick's idea, so kudos to him <laughs> for pointing me in that direction. He was like, you know what would be really good? you should make some videos and explain some of this stuff. I was like, all right. So, so I'm glad, I'm glad that helped you kind of explore the music a little bit. Cause that's definitely my intention. Yeah. Well, go ahead guys. Make sure that you uh, go to, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Jeremy Noller website at Jeremy com and check out the new releases in 2013. Make sure you give some, uh, check out his past released uh, music notes. I think it was called, mm -hmm. right? That's and um, yep. Which also, you know, it was really interesting to go listen. We were talking about uh, archiving real quick. It was it's interesting to go listen to that and see like the influences after listening to this most recent record and going back and hearing it like in, in little pockets in between those mm -hmm. compositions and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, everyone feel free to do that. Jeremy, thanks for coming on again. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having and, uh, me. Yeah, we look forward to what's next, man. Great.